The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I, I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the gospel of the Lord. The story that uh, Jesus told um, about the two men in the temple is uh, traditionally called the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. It's not the Pharisee and the Republican. (laughs) It's the parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And the word publican comes from the Latin word publicanus, which simply means a tax collector. It's the Pharisee and the tax collector. But you can see that I've, I've changed the name of it. I want to call that, that parable the man who was full of himself. Ever met anybody who's full of himself? We've all met people who are full of themselves. Well, the, the Pharisee was a man who was, he was full of himself. You can also call this parable, call the story, the parable of the man who got it right. And that was a tax collector. Now, this is a story that Jesus wrote. Did it happen? I don't think it happened. I guess, I guess it could have happened, but I don't think so. Jesus believed that people learned better with stories than they did with ideas or principles. So Jesus, he was a writer. He wrote these little short stories called parables. And so he wrote this story uh, with two people in it, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and Jesus was not a fan of the Pharisees. Uh, he, he didn't like them at all. And in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, is a long section here where Jesus condemns the Pharisees. He says, woe to you. Woe to you means you're going to get it. Okay? Woe to you. So, for example, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. So much for the gentle Jesus, right? Hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin. They tithe spices. Not just money they tithe. They tithe the spices that they bought at the store. You You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. 
you have neglected justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced. He called them, you, you blind guides. I love that. You blind guides. And then this. You strain out a, you strain out a net and you swallow a camel. You strain out a net and you swallow a camel. Now imagine, imagine a bowl of soup. You got the soup and you got the net and you got the camel. Now you have to use your imagination here. But they pick out the net and they swallow the camel. They do the little tiny things but they don't do the important things of love and, and justice. And so Jesus says, you snakes... You brood of vipers, how can you escape being sentenced to hell? Jesus was not a fan of the Pharisees. And so he described them next, the next slide. As people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he drew this picture of the Pharisees. And the people who heard it, they could recognize the Pharisee because this is the kind of guys who walk around them all the time. Jesus nailed it when he described the Pharisees. But when it came to the tax collectors, I think, I think they never saw a tax collector like this. Because tax collectors had really sold their souls to Rome. They collected taxes on behalf of Rome. They were traitors. People looked down upon them and despised them. They were not religious people. And yet, Jesus describes this tax collector as someone who is sorry for what he does. And in the end, he is made right with God. And the religious guy gets not a zippo, nothing. Now, this parable is really about how people relate, how your religion relates to God. Isn't that the, the purpose of religion? Your religion, your faith, our Christian faith, it's a relationship to God. The Christian faith is a relationship to God through Jesus Christ. And in the book of Leviticus, God says, God says this. I will place my dwelling in your midst. I shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. That's the promise. I will be your God and you shall be my people. And the Pharisees thought the way you ran that relationship was to keep all of God's laws. It was kind of legal. You just do the stuff that God wants you to do. And because this Pharisee kept the laws more than he should, he thought he was really, really righteous. He thought he was wonderful. And from that high perch of being righteous, he looked down on other people who were not doing the things that he wanted to do. The tax collector had no relationship with God. He had abandoned God. He had sold his soul to Rome. But what he was doing as a tax collector got to him so badly, he felt so badly that he went to the temple. And he was at the bottom. Alcoholics Anonymous tells us that if you want to be a non, if you want to get rid of your alcoholism, 
you have to hit bottom. Anybody ever heard that? You have to hit bottom. And in hitting bottom, you may lose everything. Your home, your family, your wife, your job, everything. But they teach at the bottom. At the bottom, there's hope. That's where hope is, at the bottom. And the tax collector was at the bottom, and he prayed, and he was made right with God. Someone has said that there is a Pharisee in all of us. Ouch. There's a Pharisee in all of us. And I see that in myself. Um, I'm glad I'm a Christian. I'm proud I'm a Christian. I'm proud that I'm with, with people in a church like this. When I look out there, I see all kinds of people who have nothing to do with the church, have nothing to do with God, have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And it's easy. I find it's easy for me to be somewhat self-righteous and from my perch of being righteous to look down on them. And I just learned something about myself this morning. I believe in driving the speed limit. If it says 60, I'm driving 60. But there are people zipping by me at 70 and 75. And I tend to look at those people and say, well, what sinners? (laughs) See? He trusted himself that he was righteous and he treated others with contempt. That's what I do when I'm driving. Please drive the speed limit. There's a a Pharisee in all of us. And I think there is that temptation to look down on people who are non-Christians. I know Christians who look down on other Christians because they don't agree with them to the last detail. Anybody anybody ever met anybody like that? I see the hands going up. They look down on fellow Christians. Well, that describes them. There's a Pharisee in all of us. But if there's a Pharisee in all of us, there must be a tax collector in all of us. Because the tax collector is the hero of this story. He's the hero. And the reason he's the hero is that he is honest with himself about himself. And he's honest with himself towards God. He has looked at his life and found it wanting. He's ashamed of himself and doesn't like how he feels. And he wants to do better. He could have repented at home. You know, you can repent at home. You can do that. But it appears that in this story, that wasn't good enough for the tax collector. So he went to the temple. He went to the place where God's glory dwells. This is a place where God's glory dwells. He went to the temple and he stood in the back. Now I have to wonder whether he thought, if I go into the temple, will the roof fall on me? I've had people, I say, well, would, you, would you come to, come visit our church? Come and see us. No, Reverend, I can't do that because if I walk in the door, the roof will fall down. Anybody ever heard that? I see some hands here. If you, raise your hand. See, I'm not making this up. They say, Reverend, the roof's going to fall. So you can imagine, someone from the church is, is negotiating with our insurance company. 
And the agent says, well, there's a $500 premium for roof insurance. And I said, why is that? Well, if, if a gross sinner walks in and your roof falls in, you're covered. He took the chance. And, and, and the tax collector walked in. He stood in the back. And he felt so bad that he couldn't lift his hands to pray the way they prayed. And he couldn't lift his eyes to heaven the way they prayed. He just stood in the back and, and had his head down and beat on his chest, beat his breast as a sign of repentance. And guess what? He prayed. Not only did he pray, he prayed a Bible prayer. He knew the Bible. Because the 51st Psalm says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. And he prayed, O God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's close enough. He prayed the sinner's prayer from the bottom. And he went home justified. He went home, peace with God. And the Pharisee? Nada, zilch, nothing. We Lutherans don't do much about sin. We don't don't do that. We don't get down to the bottom. And I think one of the reasons is that every Sunday in church we have the confession of sins. I'd like you to take your bulletin now. I'd like you to take your bulletin. I want to tell you what this is. This is a script. Okay? This is a script. It's got everybody's part in it. It's got my part. It's got your part. It's got your part. It's got Tiana's part. It's got the choir's part. It's got everybody's part in the script. And when you come through the doors, the ushers give you a script. And we're going to follow this script, and when we're done, we'll either go in there and have coffee and go home. See, from beginning to end, our worship is scripted. These are not your words. These are somebody else's words. Here, this is scripted worship printed. Somebody wrote this script, and when we use a hymn book, you pick it up, you start on a certain page, you go to the end, and when you're done, you go home. Now, I'm not saying that's exactly bad, because Martin Luther redid the script for worship in German. He reformed the worship practices of the church. But the problem with the script is that these are not your words. These are words that somebody wrote in St. Louis or Minneapolis or who knows where. And nobody asked you if you want to say this. And sometimes in the scripted worship, I can't pray the stuff they say. It just is wrong. Some Sunday mornings I pick up a bulletin and I say, that's crazy. (laughs) I do. And if you go to page three, go to page three at the bottom, this confession of, of sins, I wrote this. But you didn't write it. I wrote it. 
And this may or may not reflect how you feel. Some of the confessions of sin have got to do with um, things, and most of them are not personal. They're not personal sins. They don't confess adultery and all of those things because that would hurt people's feelings. So we confess things like, um, uh, I've not loved my neighbor, although you can't say that about people in this church. Or, oh, dear God, I've neglected the poor. You can't say that about people in this church. We've got too much stuff out there. We're collecting too much stuff to say that we, we neglect the poor. But the prayers say that. Uh, I've, I've, I've dirtied the oceans, and I have not recycled my milk cartons. Dear God, have mercy on me. See, they're not your words. So you can imagine, you can imagine a husband and wife sitting in the church on Sunday morning, and, and she's reading the bulletin, and she gives him an elbow and says, you see this confession? She says, I can't say that. And he says, read the words, honey, read the words. But she said, they don't represent what I think. I think they're wrong. He says, read the words, honey, read the words. They're printed up there, read the words. So that she reads the words. And then, at the end, comes this, this wonderful declaration. I joyfully declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. Did you hear that? I joyfully declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins. Can I do that? Jesus gave the authority to the church to forgive sins. He said, if you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. So by reading the words, people get the forgiveness of their sins without really dealing with what's in their heart, without getting down to the bottom. Bonhoeffer would call that cheap grace. Just read the words, honey, and you get your sins forgiven. But think of those words. The entire forgiveness of all your sins, whatever you've done, whatever you're ashamed of, whatever you regret, it's forgiven. You're right with God. You came through that door with a dirty robe, and you've washed your robe in the blood of the Lamb, and you've made it white. Entire forgiveness of all your sins. So we say that. The entire forgiveness of all your sins. And in thousands and thousands of churches, the response to that is, Amen. Nobody has heard the words. The entire forgiveness of all your sins. Well, thanks be to God. Just read the words, honey. Someone down at the bottom, like the tax collector, Here's those words, the entire forgiveness of all your sins. And what do you think that person says, man and woman? What do you think they say? Amen! Hallelujah! Yippee! Praise the Lord! I've gotten something. We rarely get that kind of a response in the church because we've just read the words. We pick up the script, we go through it from beginning to end, and we go home. 
And we don't get down to the bottom where the, where, where the tax collector was. We don't do that in the Lutheran church. In, in 1957, I went to a Billy Graham crusade in New York. Anybody been to a Billy Graham crusade? Anybody? One. Anybody? Two. Okay. Uh, we went, and uh, Billy Graham only gave one crusade in New York. He went several months. And I went with folks from my church one, one day, Madison Square Garden. And the garden was packed with people. And we, we sat upstairs. And um, we heard the wonderful choir, the wonderful Billy Graham choir. And we heard George Beverly Shea. How many of you know George Beverly Shea? Yeah, the, uh, we know him, George Beverly Shea. We heard George Beverly Shea sing. And we heard Billy Graham preach this wonderful sermon. And then Billy Graham gave the altar call. And George Beverly Shea sang, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. And I was sitting in my seat. People were coming. They were coming down the aisle. I couldn't believe it. People were actually going forward, and some of them had tears in their eyes. <laughs> Not me. We Lutherans don't do that. <laughs> we Lutherans don't humble ourselves like that and get down on an altar call. No, sir, I'm sitting here, and everybody from my church just sat there frozen. Well, all these people, all these people went down, some of them with tears in their eyes, heading towards, heading towards the, the front of the altar, heading the, the front of the, the, the place. And here's the deal. They knew it was coming. The altar call was not a surprise. They knew George Beverly Shea would sing, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. They knew there would be an altar call, and they were looking forward to it. And one reason that Billy Graham was so popular for so long, because he had one message. Sinner, Come to Jesus. And people wanted to hear that. And they came by the thousands. And they were at bottom. And they knew it. And they wanted forgiveness. And they wanted peace with God. And there's always hope at the bottom. And they went. And they found forgiveness. And they found peace with God. And they found a new life. And we don't do that. Because we've got a script. Now, I'm not knocking this exactly because I can't imagine worship without something like this. It would be total chaos. If you didn't have some kind of an order. But the problem with this, it doesn't Speak what's in your heart. And someone else puts these words on your lips and they don't come from the depths. Now it's possible for someone to come here in this place where God's glory dwells and to sit in the front, to sit in the back and to do what the tax collector did. 
You can do it at home. But it's possible to come here in this holy, wonderful space and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If there's other people here, it's none of their business what you're doing. Close the door. Forget them. Just you and God. We don't give an altar call every Sunday. I don't think we should do that. Churches that do that, it becomes phony after a while because everybody in the church has come forward. So then the minister said, well, nobody's coming forward. though. So, so close your eyes, and if you want to come forward but are afraid, raise your hand. And nobody can look up, and he says, there's a hand and there's a hand, but you don't know if there's any hands at all. There needs to be a tax collector in all of us. Men and women who from time to time get alone with God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And what you'll hear is the entire forgiveness of all your sins. You get a white robe and a new beginning. And people who experience that say, Amen. Hallelujah. Yippee. Thanks be to God. Amen.